Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hey, hey. All right. So, like I said, we're debating is faith harmful. We have our resident Buddhist on the one side, Brenton. And we have an atheist on the other side, Airman right here. They're ready to go at it. Uh... Even though it looked like Airman would be the affirmative and he would usually go first, we're going to let Brenton go first just to set everything up. But before we start, I just want you guys to know, if y'all want to listen to more of this stuff, they're definitely, their links is, uh, should be in the description below if you want to check them out on their content. And uh, also before we start, I just want to welcome everybody to Modern Day Debates. This is a space to go uh, where reason is all that matters. Uh, you, you, whatever your walk of life, it doesn't matter. Uh, gay, straight, uh, atheist, it doesn't matter, you know. We just what matters here is just the ideas, all right. So let's get started. Uh, Brenton, you want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brenton Lengel. I am a playwright, uh, Ringo nominated comic creator of Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. Second issue was just sent to the printer, and um, I am a Nichiren Buddhist. Uh, so, uh, that's going to be informing a lot of what I talk about. Um, so to begin, once the Buddha was wandering when he reached a town and the villagers approached him saying, Shakyamuni, there are some mystics and priests who have visited us and they explain and elucidate their own doctrines, but disparage, denigrate, denigrate, deride, and denounce the doctrines of others. But then some new ones come and they too speak of their own doctrines and disparage the doctrines of others. We are perplexed and in doubt as to which speak the truth and which speaks falsehood. And the Buddha replied, it is fitting for you to be in doubt for this is a perplexing problem. Whenever you assess a teaching, do not believe, do not go upon what you have been repeatedly told, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, nor upon what is in a scripture, nor upon what we can surmise, nor upon axiom, nor upon specious reasoning, nor upon a bias towards a notion that has been pondered over, nor upon another's seeming ability, nor upon the consideration, uh, nor upon the consideration, these are the words of our teacher. Good people, when you yourselves know these things are good, these things are not blamable, these things are praised by the wise and undertaken and observed, these things lead to benefit and happiness, only then enter and abide in those teachings. Selectively quoted from the Kesapucha Sutra. If there's anything that exemplifies both the triumph and the sickness at the heart of the modern world, it is the continual erosion and lack of faith. 
uh, that in the zeitgeist. And by this, I simply don't mean religious faith, though since the Enlightenment, and especially in the last few decades in the United States, in particular, we have seen a definite wane in both the power of the church over public life and in Christian belief in particular. So much so that it seems to me quite strange that someone could even truly believe in the miraculous events described in the Bible uh, in the sense that they are literally true. Science's ability to perform real miracles has certainly undermined the credibility of those who claim historical, or from my view, mythological miracles as those that relate to God, the Father, and all the angels. This is not to say that there are not those who profess to possess great reserves of faith and an unspeakable, unshakable belief in the literal truth of the Bible or the Quran, or most frustrating of all recently, the literal historical truth of the Vedas, the Upanishads, and the Bhagavad Gita. You can find such people quite easily. And if you doubt their commitment to these miraculous happenings, don't worry, they'll very soon tell you otherwise in no uncertain terms. But that's really not the kind of faith I'm interested in defending tonight. Because in truth, it's not really faith. It's belief. And belief is much easier to find even in the modern world. People believe in the Constitution or in capitalism or socialism or must fr most frustrating of all, they believe in QAnon. They believe in the shrewdness, intelligence, righteousness of their leaders, often despite all evidence to the contrary. They believe in their nationality and their race and even their so-called skepticism and rationality and the fact that 9-11 was an inside job and that Je Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. All of these things they believe and all too often these are simply excuses to abandon compassion and grant oneself an unearned feeling of power over those they perceive of being too weak and thus somehow beneath them. Though it seems paradoxical, I would like to put forth the proposition that as faith recedes from the world, unjustified belief does not vanish with it. In fact, it seems to me that this sort of belief is, if anything, enjoying something of a resurgence, which is incredibly disappointing given the recent history of the 20th century and the disasters uh, of the various religious wars, World War I, World War II, and the Holocaust. Now, those who know me might ask themselves, why is it that a self-professed anarchist is here tonight defending faith? Why someone who frequently speaks positively about the prospects of socialism and even libertarian communism might have any good words to say about a concept that is regularly defined by the layman as some version of the act of, exception, of accepting a proposition to be true without convincing evidence. And you might rightly point out that there are some of the more colorful statements to come out of the classical anarchist tradition. These are slogans like, no gods, no masters, and the only church with, which illuminates is a burning church. But what they might not be as familiar with is perhaps the single most famous and influential anarchist in the world, which would be the literary genius Leo Tolstoy, who, invoking St. Luke, famously put forth the proposition that the kingdom of God is within you. And this is a proposition that despite my current incredulity towards the popular conceptions of the Christian God, along with Jesus and all the angels, I find nonetheless to be incredibly compelling and in fact, most likely to be correct. Of religion, Karl Marx famously said, man makes religion. Religion does not make man. Man is no abstract being squatting outside of the world. Man is the world of man, the state, society. This state and this society produce religion. It is the fantastic realization of the human essence since the human essence has not acquired any true reality. 
which despite being a practicing Buddhist myself, I find to be quite correct, along with, uh, along with, as it seems, the famous existential philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, who wrote, existence precedes essence. Man, first of all, exists, encountering, encounters himself, and defines himself afterwards. To begin with, man is nothing. He will not be anything until later, and then he will be what he makes of himself. Thus, there is no true human nature because there is no God to have a conception of it. Man simply is. Not that he is simply what he conceives himself to be, but he is what he wills as he conceives himself after already existing. Man is nothing else but that which he makes of himself. And it might seem curious to you, uh, but I agree with Sartre as well. The reason I defend faith is that the kind of insane, fervent belief that my interlocutor uh, has such an issue with is not really faith. It is, in fact, a conspicuous overreaction caused by a distinct lack of faith in the adherent. Because what is faith? Is it to doggedly insist that everything written in your scriptures must literally be true? And if you don't like it, just you watch yourself because the day of judgment is coming. And if you reject the truth, oh, then you're going to get it. And in fact, I have so much faith, I won't even wait for the day of judgment to come. I'll smite you myself right here in the Lord's name, and then you'll know. Then you'll know that I'm right. I will hurt you so deeply that you'll have to admit that Jesus is the Messiah, or that there is or that there is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet, or that Kali is your mother. Obviously not. The person who does that has no faith. That's why they're so rattled by doubts when even the slightest whiff of blasphemy brushes by their nose. Whenever someone disrespects the American flag or the Constitution or marries outside their rates, the point is these people are bewitched. They are hypnotized by appearances, by stories and symbols, and this they confuse with actual reality. They confuse a drawing with their mother, a scrap of cloth with their closest and most deeply held community, and a vapid charlatan with their most honored heroic champion. The way humans express actual faith, true faith, which is, in my opinion, necessary for a continued spiritual and material success, as well as psychological health, is by doing it. Faith is a muscle. It is one that you build through religious practice, and it is something that you put into practice in your real life. If you do not do that, you do not have faith. And how do you put it into practice? By making a leap of faith. Not in regards to a doctrine or a tradition or an act of superficial reverence to what you might confuse with ultimate reality. The way you have real faith is to make that leap to place your trust in the universe, in actual reality, to give up power and control and to surrender to it and trust it as you would another, as you would another. And you say to the world, despite how many imminent disasters seem to wait just upon your doorstep, let's see what you're going to do. Or to put it another way, therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is it not the life more than the food and the body more than the raiment? Behold the birds of heaven, they, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God doth so close the grass of the field, which today today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not more clothe you? 
O ye of little faith, be not anxious, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. Be not therefore anxious for tomorrow. And the beautiful thing is that when you say this to the world, when you make this act of faith, when you give up power and stop trying to control everything and make everything go your way, you're also saying that to yourself. Let's see what you're going to do. And therefore, paradoxically, the more you give up power, the more powerful you become. This is because evolution does not favor organisms that experience reality exactly as it is. Um, in fact, evolution favors organisms that experience reality in a way that is most conducive to our survival and or reproduction. The sensory reality that we all see, that we experience through touch, taste, smell, uh, and vision, this is to actual reality what your computer interface is to a computer. And of course, being that we are creatures, which can die quite easily, um, open a vein here, um, you know, an artery there, and that's all he wrote, um, we often overestimate the dangers that we face and underestimate ourselves. And yet within our head, within the uh, system that evolution has built for us to interact with ourselves and the world around us, everything seems to be ever mounting tragedies. Yet what I have personally learned by making this act of faith more than once and by pushing myself beyond my limit, when I knew that there was no more that I could do, and yet I did more. When I was sure I would die, and yet I continued. By doing this, I became far more successful than I ever would have dreamed. And this is why people say that faith can move mountains. Because when you stop defending yourself constantly, when you stop looking and waiting for uh, the disaster that is you're certain is waiting just around the corner, that frees up your energy. Ultimately, what faith is, what the evolutionary purpose that I believe it serves in humanity, is the ability to enact a manual override towards our perceptions, because of course our perceptions are imperfect. And there are times that we must reach beyond them. We must exceed our own imposed limits. And of course then a mustard seed of faith can move mountains. And that is why we find ourselves within this society now with all of uh, its toil and frustration devastation, depression, and fear. It is a lack of faith that is eating the West alive. And the only way that we can correct our course is to open ourselves up to the world and relearn this teaching that our ancestors knew when they faced down the world, whether there was a leopard waiting for them in the field or a blade of grass. Thank you. All right, all right. We appreciate that opening. Now, uh, Ermin, a lot I'm of so stuff that you got to agree with. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to let you saw, but I'm saying like uh, when listening to it, Brennan, it sounds like a, a lot of your worldview is uh, very similar uh, in some cases. I, I want to see how you uh, 
extract out the differences. So go ahead. I, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, that. no, no, no. Go ahead. By the way, I just want to let you guys know you guys could interrupt me at any time. In fact, it's uh, I, I'm completely open to that. Okay, so it's not rude if you want to interrupt me. That's completely okay. Okay. Um, I just I, I just did hear a lot of. Uh, by the way, Brent, you're really good at narrate. <laughs> in like you know, you make things sound a lot very powerful so good job in that uh but i didn't hear any i don't know if, if maybe i missed it but i heard a lot of descriptions uh for faith but did you give like a definition because i really want to know exactly what we're talking about or like i heard like it could do this it could do this these are its qualities mm -hmm. but then did you um maybe like did do you have an actual definition of what we're talking about here i think faith is the ability to place your trust in others and the world as you would a another person as you as you would like your your most hmm. trusted friend okay but here's the key here's the important thing uh trust based based on what like i think obviously having trust in some things and not having trust in some other things obviously we all agree that it's okay to tr like it's a good thing for us to be able to trust things right that yeah. is not the issue it's what that criteria for that trust is that is the difference between i would say you know it is ultimately it's the ability to override the senses mm -hmm. um and necessarily right. like your your own brain and your ego's protective instincts so okay. the trust shouldn't probably i would say it might not be best for it to be based on absolutely nothing but at the same time by nature of the ability it, it, it must be able to be based on nothing, uh, if, if that makes sense. So the, the ability to place trust within the world, despite what we seem to um, perceive, despite the danger that we seem to perceive in doing that. Okay, so yeah, I, I believe in making calculated risk. Okay, um, but again, calculated based on what, like edu you know, yeah. and also when you're saying overriding our senses, right? Mm -hmm. uh, overriding our what was the other thing you said? Uh, yeah. Instincts, right? I also agree that our senses and our instincts and our intuitions are extremely flawed. So I think that we need better systems to go beyond that and learn about things and trust in things not based on that. But so I agree that we have to go beyond that. But again, I think you did when you say we have to go beyond that, you didn't give us how, like based on what methodology you're saying based on nothing. I, mean, I like gave that I, I actually gave that at the beginning. Okay. Um, and it can was you, presented. It was presented as a dialectic. So mm. um, I thought you might have mo focused more on the negatives, but um, in the in the sutra that I um, that that I quoted, um, you know, the Buddha says specifically about how to assess whether a teaching is true or not. It says, do not Thank believe, uh, do not go upon what you've been repeatedly told, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, right. nor upon scripture, nor upon what we can surmise nor upon axiom, nor upon specious reasoning, nor upon a bias towards a notion that has been pondered over, right. uh, getting attached to an idea, nor upon another's seeming ability, nor upon the consideration, these are the words of our teacher. Right. Yeah. So he says, then he gives the positive, because it's a dialectic. Mm -hmm. So he positive. gives the negative and then the positive. 
good people, when you yourselves know these things are good, these things are not blamable, these things are praised by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things, and this is the most important thing, these things lead to benefit and happiness, only then enter on and abide in them. So, But with, there's no criteria there. It's just saying if you well, know... No, there, is, there is criteria. What is, what is the criteria? Mm -hmm. um, the criteria there is, you know, like the Dalai Lama will famously say, um, the true test of any religion is the effect that it has on its followers' lives. Um, oh, it evidence-based. Yeah. In a, in a way, yes, evidence-based. You so can not look faith. at faith. I would give it, I would say it's faith, but I would say it's faith that is informed by um, what we are able to observe. So, so wait, for instance. So, faith is, say, so you're saying your definition, so we're getting finally to some criteria. Okay, so yeah. the things that we shouldn't rely on, I agree with you. Not on yeah. intuition, not just based on perceptions, not based on instinct, and not based on old scripture, not based on things that people, uh, you know, um, unwarranted authority. Yes, all of that, I agree, right? But when we leave all that, I want to understand now where we go to know the things that we know and the things that we trust and which, you know, the criteria, okay? So mm -hmm. is now, you, now if we're saying the positive is that based yeah. on evidence, you're saying, right? So is yeah. your definition of faith is to evaluate things based on evidence? Is that your definition of faith? I wouldn't say entirely, but the evaluation of things based on evidence should come into um, the, the the equation, essentially. Um, what I don't else other than evidence? evidence? Well, once again, so what we have, the evidence they're essentially going is, so these things are good, these things are not blamable. So that is the person's own internal moral intuition, what he's applying to there. But also then he goes, these things are praised by the wise. So expert opinion. Wait. I thought we're not going to use intuition. Um, he, he didn't say intuition here. Uh, he's saying uh, all of these said. together, by the way. No, I, I didn't say intuition. I said, um, oh. hang on, tradition. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah. Wait, so tradition is part of the negative or the positive? The negative. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Um, so let's so, forget uh, the uh, negative because I think we agree on all the things yeah. that we shouldn't rely on. I think we agree on that, okay? I, yeah. um, so, Which is well, what I was trying to explain the positive yeah. to you here. Sorry, sorry. Sorry. So it, you said like, because like these things are good. So what he says, good people, when you yourselves know these things are good, these things are not blamable. So that's the first part of the equation. Here. But it, that's, it, so, there's no criteria. It's just, it just says, you well, know, yeah, how do we know? I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain what he's saying when he's saying, right, sorry. What, was, what, he, what he's expressing with those words is mm -hmm. not literally these things are good. But what he's saying is, is that the person knows their moral intuition holds that the teachings that they, mm -hmm. they're not detecting any problem with the teachings with their moral intuition. So for instance, when someone says, Oh, so in this teaching, you should, it would be a great one. Destiny, for instance, most recently tried to build his moral system. And he said, um, in my moral system, it is permissible to kill someone to protect your property. Even if that property is just a stick of gum, assuming the fight escalates that instantly trips moral intuition. So that, that's, that is a thing that is blamable. To murder someone over a piece of gum is always blamable. So you're um, using moral intuition then? Yeah, to begin with, but that's not, it, it's not just the moral intuition. So this mm -hmm. is, these things are praised by the wise, undertaken and observed, and these things lead to benefit and happiness. So then you have expert opinion go, comes into it, but also 
the not only is the expert opinion taken in there, but also it is practiced and we have seen a uh, actual benefit and happiness come out of it. So essentially what you have is you've got the individual component, you've got the social component, and then you also have uh, the more utilitarian component. So if you put all three of those together, the result of that conversation lets you know whether or not to accept a teaching. All right, so there's three things here. Uh, moral, the first one was moral intuition. The second one was expert opinion. And the last one sounded like evidence for the benefit of, uh, for evidence for the benefit and harm. That's what's the last yeah, one. Exactly. What, what they've, what the ideas and what the teaching Can has I... actually done within reality when put into practice. Okay. Okay. So the first thing I noticed is that this is not what most people mean when they say faith. No. And I agreed with that. I don't think it's what most people mean when they see, when okay. they say, I mean, you would say usually people who uh, are theologians or uh, if they're um, like uh, dealing like within a mystical religious tradition, th that's going to be closer to what I defined as faith uh, as opposed to what most lay people would define as faith, which is. It seems like you have your very own personal definition to me. Well, everyone has a personal definition of literally everything because language is right. symbolic and no one's individual definition of anything is going to be the same as anyone else's. Okay. Um, all right, okay, so, all right, right, quick guys. All right, okay. so I was I was just counting that as your opening. You was asking for clarifying questions, uh, yeah. but we'll I don't have any opening. I I'm just yeah, yeah, you know I just yeah. set that side of, uh, that time aside for that. So we'll go directly into the um into the open open debate right now. Yes. Uh, let's keep in mind the topic, which is is faith harmful. Now you heard uh, Brenton's right. definition of faith, and uh, I know you could also argue faith in general terms. So. Uh, mm. If you do want to uh, address that, that'd be great. Yeah. Do, okay. So when it comes to faith being harmful, uh, Brent, you is it okay if I just say Brent? Or yeah, Brent, you can you say want, Brent. Okay. That's what okay. my friends call me, and I consider Good. you a friend. Yeah, me too. Um, do you you agree? I think you agree with me that it's better for society to believe in more true things and less false things, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. So and we're both utilitarians here. Um, so my view of morality is um, I tend to lean more towards the utilitarian side than the deontological. Okay. But in reality, I think all human morality is a conversation between deontological and uh, utilitarian elements. For instance, if you go pure to tell pure utilitarianism, you can justify, for instance, killing someone and harvesting their organs against their will to save five people. Um, whereas what I would say is, no, you actually can't do that because when you do that, you create a precedent for abusing well, people. And therefore, so that, once that precedent is created, it's right. going to impact. So you have a utilitarian argument for why we shouldn't do that then? Yeah, I mean, I would say I have a humanistic argument. Uh, the way, in my opinion, like the way humans tend to actually make moral judgments in reality is a combination of instinct, uh, which is really their compassion, um, alongside deontological rules that seem to work, alongside a calculus that uh, what's the likely outcome. And in fact, that's really interesting because it you notice it somewhat parallels the uh buddha's definition of what how you evaluate right. what is a correct teaching okay so we're enough we're we're basically enough we're close enough to want more people to be happy and less people to be miserable that's basically it all right um yes. 
Yeah. Okay. So given that it, it's better for the world and um, almost everybody for more people to believe in true things, I think what we what we care about is to sh make sure that we are promoting methodologies that coming at uh, for people to come up with their belief systems, methodologies that work, methodologies that give you more true beliefs and less false beliefs, right? Yes, I, I would. I would say that, though I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, Western skepticism is a good way to to go about doing that for a number of reasons. Okay, let me read that down. Um, like I don't basically, know what you mean by that, but okay. I, I mean we'll, we'll the Enlightenment tradition, the the broad set of ideals that are advanced by, for instance, the the Four Horsemen, uh, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, that kind of I thing. I do. I do have a. Um, I do get triggered when people call this Western because I do think these Enlightenment traditions belong amazing. to the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> we got an amazing. You know, I would agree that they do belong to the whole world. And, right. you know, the West isn't really even a real thing. It's something that was made up for political convenience. But uh, I use it because people understand what I mean when I say it. But I, I'll say, okay. so the Enlightenment traditions of rationality that we saw coming out of like David Hume and stuff, and that eventually then were most recently re-expressed in my, in our lifetime by Christopher Hitchens, uh, uh, Dawkins, uh, Sam Harris, um, and uh, who was the fourth guy? Daniel Dennett. Daniel Dennett. Yeah. Which but I way before that, about. like Carl Sagan. Um, I tend to be a fan of Carl Sagan. Actually, yeah. he, he and he and Alan Watts actually had a lot of uh, overlap in what they talked about, and I think Alan Watts is probably one of the smartest philosophers um, in human history. So Baron Russell. With the Russell, Bertrand Russell, yeah, Bertrand, Bertrand, Bertrand Russell, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those guys were like, this is nothing new. Like I know we, because the the four horsemen were in our lifetime, but these yeah. ideas always had their champions. Certainly, yeah, they had uh, the but, champions again, not in the, not just in the West. They have the champions mm -hmm. for hundreds of years, thousands of years in the Middle East, uh, in Africa, in the Far East, uh, in North and South America. Like again, this is not uh, these ideas are not. They have the champions all around the world. You are totally right. And in fact, I for I, there was a fact, I, I can't remember the guy's name at the moment, but there was a, an <clears throat> African philosopher who basically came up with like all the ideas of the enlightenment that would be later like expressed by John Locke, like a hundred years before John Locke. And I, I had that fact memorized for a while uh, because I knew I, I was going to be arguing with some neo-Nazis and I was like, they're mm -hmm. going to say nothing good ever came out of Africa when Africa I actually beat us to that. I'm discovering more uh, Indian philosophers who were arguing these things, um, you know, thousands of thousands of years ago, right? So yeah, absolutely, and yeah, the Buddhists yeah. were in a, in a lot of ways arguing these things. I mean, you heard. Well, I said by the way, I said just yeah. to be clear, I said Indians, not Hindus, okay? Because a lot of Hindus try to claim these people for their own religion, but they were they were completely materialistic and didn't believe in any of that. But again, so go on, sorry. Yeah, well, I, I know you've had some issues with Hindus lately. <laughs> You're being sued for what, a hundred million dollars now? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. But okay, so here's the thing: the three things that you mentioned as as your definition of faith, right? Moral mm -hmm. intuition, expert opinion, evidence for the uh, benefit for the benefit and and for the harm. Um, the the first part is I. It seems to me it's going contradicts one of the things that you said earlier because you think like we should override over our perceptions, and now you're saying we should rely on faith. And the first element of the uh, on of your criteria was moral intuition. Yeah. So what happened well, to I mean, overriding our perception? 
Yeah, it's a good point. The, the, the criteria there is more for judging a um, like whether or not a, a teaching is true or false, but it is, you know, it, it is consistent with Buddhist faith as it is practiced. Oh, so Buddhism um, is your criteria. Um, not really Buddhism. What, I mean, what happened to not relying on old, scri <laughs> old scripture? Oh, well, the Buddhists don't rely on the sutras. The, the sutras are okay. there. You can find old great teachings. wisdom in them. Yeah, but the, the sutras are not literally true. And, and you, you'll be okay. very hard-pressed to find a modern Buddhist who will say that the sutras are literally true. Um, okay, wait. So we're, we're changing the elements here. So your moral intuition was... And it was not moral intuition. It's basically checking with Buddhism to see if it agrees with Buddhism. No, certainly not. Um, okay, what is it then? So, and that's kind of the important thing, like about Buddhism. Like, really, what I appealed to when I said moral intuition, you'll notice I used the word compassion, and I think that compassion is the basis of all morality. I, I don't think you can build a moral system without compassion. If you try compassion to, compassion fuels our desire to have a moral system, but. Yeah. But well, again, you know, we but the standards that we uh, by compassion is not very good at figuring out the best. Like our sense of compassion is very very flawed. It's not co at all um, correlated to the level of harm. Um, you know, for example, we all know that we feel more compassion for one child starving right next to us than a hundred thousand children starving yeah. far well, away not, from that's not us. a problem with compassion that's a, that's dunbar's number that's the human brain no um, but I, there's many examples like this like I, there's many examples like this that shows like compassion we need compassion or else if we didn't have compassion we wouldn't even be motivated to have a moral system but when we eventually come up well, to you, creating you can, a even, you can be motivated no, can to have I, a moral system this? without compassion i'm sorry continue no. Yeah, yeah, but again, I'm just saying it would we can, but I'm just saying we would the motivation comes from the fact that we have compassion. Okay, sure. the main, okay, it fuels it, right? But I'm saying when it comes to creating that standard that makes the high and most amount of people happy and less and the lowest number of people miserable, we can't rely on our sense of compassion because our sense of compassion is very flawed when it comes to trying to avoid the most amount of harm. Right? I wouldn't try, well, trying to avoid the most amount of harm. Essentially what you're saying is, if, if I'm correct here, so we have a thing called Dunbar's number. It's been uh, colloquially referred to as That's the monkey's fear. One example of yeah. many flaws. Yeah. Which, yeah, but but let me explain. So uh, essentially yeah. what you're saying is, um, is that uh, since humans can only recognize 150 or so individuals as actual people and everyone else gets grouped into an abstract, um, even though they are just as much people as the 150 people. I don't want to really go down to this detail yeah. because we're getting a little bit off track. We just agree that there's flaws, right, in our sense of comp our intuition. I mean, there, there's flaws, and nothing within this reality is perfect. So obviously, there's yeah. flaws in everything, including our sense. Right. Of so we have to we have to look at the methodology that has the least amount of flaws. Right. This is okay. So when we, we, yeah yeah we we would so, we work to establish a methodology that has the least amount of flaws. Right, right. I, so I would, I would, I'm, I'm saying that. that I'm saying the methodology that I suggest is superior to the methodology that you suggest when it comes to okay. figuring out what's true, right? So like using using critical thinking uh, methods and also the scientific method has its flaws, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you said, every method has flaws. Yeah. But it has proven to be uh, giving us the best answers, the most reliable answers, the most consistent answers, the best the models for predicting the future in a way that it doesn't contradict other models but more than any other system, right? So I think it's dangerous to the world 
for anybody to try to promote methods that are inferior to these methods. All right. So I, I understand that argument, but I think mm -hmm. it's fundamentally flawed. Okay. Um, and this is because science can tell us how, but it can't tell us why. It can't provide meaning. It can only give us, um, it can only describe the world essentially, and, and make mm -hmm. predictions. And yes, usually these are correct predictions about the world. Um, I tell us why all the time. But depends on what you mean by why. Yeah. Can you, because... Yeah. Well, like why something should be valuable. Like oh, okay. why, yeah. why, why, uh, Camus famously said that the most important question in philosophy is um, like why we shouldn't just kill ourselves. Like, because we, okay, but that's... Uh, that's a useless question because there are things. No, it's not a useless okay. question. Like no, no. The game of well, life, the candle. Okay, let me ex let me explain to you. Right. Um, I mean, when it comes to trying to, for here's the thing. For example, let's say I want to eat. Okay. Yeah. And me and you get together and we try to figure out. Okay, we have a land here. We have some seeds here, and we want to eat. We we don't want to starve. Okay, mm -hmm. and we come up with use the scientific method to figure out how can we yield the most out of, most food out of this land. How do we put? How do we plant the seeds? How do we water it? Yeah, come up with all like we don't use faith. We don't go like we don't go based on intuition. We don't go like at old scripture. We don't go look at practices of the monks, right? We just like okay, look, this is evidence based. Like look the people that show that here the here's the how you get the highest amount of results for uh, based on these practices you're going to get the most amount of food uh, in the shortest amount of time from each um, square yeah. or meter of land okay so, uh, so you use a scientific method mm -hmm. to get what you want right but then you come well, in like hey 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 your method shows us your methodology shows us how to get the most amount of food from this land mm -hmm. but it doesn't answer this your methodology doesn't answer this question why do we want to eat? Why do we even desire not to starve? Yeah, I'm going to show you the thing that this is why this is actually a, a good question to ask. Not, not exactly the way that you just asked it. But, but here, here's the problem that is, and I'm going to say in the broadest sense, you've just, just described the problem that we're currently dealing with, which is global warming. Um, what's happening here is technology, techne from, from the Greeks. Um, this is a mode of thinking that comes where uh, you begin to see things within your environment, not for what they are, but for their utility. And the, Hegel talked about this, um, or not, not, not Hegel, Heidegger. Um, it, it's called, the process is called inframing. So when we look at the field, we inframe the field and we think, how can we bring out this field's potential to feed us and to produce as much food as we possibly can? Now, this is not to say this is this type of thinking doesn't have its place. It's very, very good for getting these types of results. However, it can also lead to some very, very serious disasters that it can't take uh, control of. And the, a big point of it here is right now in the United States, we produce um, enough okay. food to feed everyone in the nation many, many times over, we throw away 40% and just leave it to rot. Okay, but that's not I, that's not the point I was trying to get at, because what I'm trying to well, just not get- what you were trying to get at, but it, but, it, but it is the logical extension of the thinking that you, were putting, that, you, that you were putting forth without the why, without why is life good? Why should we sustain our species? Why should we right. care about other humans? Why should we care about the planet? 
Why should we not just simply follow our instincts? No, the, the question here thinks to me, the question of why do we want the things that we want is an interesting mm -hmm. question, but it doesn't help us into getting the things that we want. It's basically me saying, you're saying, Armin, what's your favorite color? Okay. I'm saying, well, my favorite yeah, color it, is green. It's not always well, good to get the things that we want. Like if we Okay, I think we have a different understanding what wanting means then, okay? Yeah. Because if you say it's not good to get the things that we want, it's you're not just always good to get Okay. The that we want. Can you give me an example of when when is it not good for us to get what we want? Uh okay. Uh, just one short example, please. Sure. Um it is not a good idea for an alcoholic to get the alcohol that they want. Okay, and why? Because they will kill themselves with it. Okay, and that's bad for them, right? Yeah. I would say it's. Okay. I, I would say it's, the pursuit of pleasure. The utility will go lower. Not, well, not even just the utility. The utility may be fine. Like they they may drink more and more, but it deals damage we have to them and deals damage to the people around them. Okay, so they would not want that. Basically, they would lead. They would have a society. They would. They would live in a life that would be miserable. That would be less happy. It would. They would deal. They would end up in a situation that is less desirable to them. Um, they might, well, it may or may not be less desirable to them. A heroin addict could honestly have a more desirable situation being constantly high on heroin or Molly or something, um, right. than what they would have, but they would still deal damage to their community. Okay. Um, and so they would hurt the people. You're not, now you're about. dealing with the wants of other people. At the end of the day, what I'm just telling you, mm -hmm. what I'm just trying to say is at the end of the day, it's about what we want. Like anything, yeah, different, you you might try to dance around this, but this is mm -hmm. about what what we and other people want. This is it's always it's always the question is certainly what do we, what do we want? want. But but here's also the thing is we don't really know what we want. We only have these things that we think we know what we want. When we okay, uh, great, we, yeah, we think so we figuring want out what we actually want. It's a very good thing to try to figure out, right? I would but, argue that's, I, I I would honestly argue we can't figure that out. Like, we can we can get closer to that. We could always we get closer to that. We have had revelations of like, oh, I thought, I thought I wanted this car because um, I genuinely that. want a car, but now I realize I want this car because of the perception that it creates among the people who see yeah. that I have this car. Like you, people come to those realizations all the time, and they live bitter lives when they understand what they actually want. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is the the only. Ultimately, if you follow desire to its logical conclusion, mm -hmm. the only thing that you can really say that you want is a pleasant surprise. Like uh, beyond that. Okay. Well, uh, okay, but here, but we're getting it a bit off traffic, uh, yeah. off, tra uh, off track. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't think know. Beyond because the, the the topic no, of but, the thing is, fake. But, but yeah, but my understanding is that okay, but okay, so you're just describing um, my point of trying bringing that example is that whatever the reason, like you say, oh, science can't tell us, science cannot tell. Um, it, it doesn't that's not the why that i was meaning with it. yes of course of course yeah i understand that but the thing is that you also say that we can't really answer that question right like of um, why we can and we so we we, we can and we can't um mm -hmm. there's a number of reasons why because i think ultimately these are value judgments and okay. they, they exactly. are generated any kind of a judgment is generated within the mind the issue is is that um an over-reliance on technological and scientific thinking um, leads one into a frame of mind 
where right. they begin to see themselves and the environment not as being inherently valuable in and of itself, but right. as serving a purpose. And this that doesn't follow. That doesn't follow. But let me get back to let me. We'll get to this one, but yeah. um, let's address the other one, right? So, given that the why mm-hmm. is basically a subjective thing, right, and you really can't have a final answer on that one, right? Then we have to deal with the part. Well, you can have a final of, part. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, the, the part that we have control product, over but... is more mm-hmm. important for us to figure out the methodology. The part that you said, when I said we can't, you say we can't answer why. Well, if we can't, then then there is no methodology that we need to worry about. Like, it's just like, it's the okay. answer. Well, hey, I, I'm not I, seeing let, how this. Can I finish? Can uh, I just finish? Okay. I'm just not seeing how this uh, uh, ties back to faith. I feel like we're. My, really because we're talking about the best methodology. Right, the best methodology to get the most things that we want. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm saying you that your methodology of faith is inferior to my methodology. And given that the whole point of life is to, you know, well, make my your- methodology is not simply faith. It's more that faith is an is an integral component. Right. Okay. So yeah. I'm just saying that's a flawed part of your method. If you get rid of mm-hmm. that, you will be better off. Okay, I w- I would disagree. So Ehrman argued that the reason why uh, faith is harmful is because the methodology, like the scientific method, produces more. And to then uh, go for some other... Right. More reliable method for getting to the truth is that is that essentially? Yeah, I mean, right. I'm I'm in my I'm in my car and I'm getting at my destination, and you're telling me like get out of the car. I have something else that is better than the car that you're driving it. I'm like, show me no, what it I'm is. All right, all right. Well, Brenton, <laughs> let me ask you a question, Brenton, so yeah. we can get back on topic. Sure. Are you saying that? Uh, so your position is faith is good, and and what I want to know is is your version of faith good or is the general accepting? Uh, terminology. Mm-hmm. Good question. By yeah, that's a great question. I would say the general accepted terminology of faith that you would read in the dictionary that the layman has is usually bad. Ooh, um, okay, good. Now, I will also say, however, that the way that faith is actually realized and practiced by many people without realizing what they're doing um, can be very, very good. Um, again, this is why I, I, I read that uh, quote from Mark, the, the, the lilies of the field. Um, you know, I mean, it's been shown in studies that uh, people who possess like strong, positive religious faith uh, deal better with stress, are less uh, depressed than those who don't. Now, it can go the other way if you have uh, faith in very negative things, like if you think God is going to punish you every minute, that actually hurts you. But um, they they tend to have, like, neurologically speaking, um, a positive expression of faith tends to um, tends to show a. More... I've seen studies that actually contradict that. Well, so we can... which study? Then, like, how does? It well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we need to. We could do that later, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, we the individuals, um, like again, like you mentioned, somebody could be happier on heroin. We have to look at the consequences of their of this the, the society as a whole, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, um, but, and, and you know, I would say certain things like you know various religious wars, terrorism, those kinds of things. These are people. Again, I, I wouldn't call that kind of behavior faith. At least, not the faith that I am interested in defending. 
I, I would actually ascribe it to an over belief. Do you not? Do you not agree? Do you not agree that when most people, when they use the word faith, they're basically giving you, a, like it's basically their way of saying that I believe in this and I have no fucking reason why I need to. Oh, by the way, can I swear on this channel? Sorry, I, I yeah. guess so. I yeah, yeah. swear on too this late. Too late. Sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. Do you do you not agree that the vast majority of people when they when they use faith is is basically when they are admitting that they have zero good reasons to believe in something, and when you ask for the you know that's just. They, they perceive they, they perceive zero good reasons to believe in anything, um, but also so that just offer faith. Well, basically, our an excuse. so our consciousness um, tends to focus on negatives more than positives. So in that moment, like they may actually have lots of good reasons to believe a good outcome will come, but they are not perceiving them in that moment because of where their life and their mind is at a certain time. Uh, and this okay. again is important. Why? This is again like why faith. I think why humans evolved to have faith. Because we so that's why that's why if it, weren't, if it weren't useful. So there's two things. Either um, either they they don't have they believe in things without having zero good reasons to believe in it, or they have good reasons and they fail to communicate it. And they, they, they have good reasons fail to perceive it. Or they fail. Okay, they perceive it. Okay, so in both of these examples, getting rid of faith would be better. Because if you get rid of faith, then people will be um, good, be looking for reasons for their no, for believing. Let me let me can I no let me finish let me finish. People, if you get rid of faith in this uh, the first situation, you would actually motivate people to actually have reasons for the things that they believe. In the second situations, if they do have reasons and they don't per perceive it, if you get rid of faith, now you're helping people to actually now start perceiving. And the reasoning behind the things that they believe in. In both situations, removing faith will uh, improve the, the belief system that the person has. Only if someone has perfect consciousness that can accurately perceive reality, which we know they don't and can't. So No, it's he, not about perfection. It's about getting closer to reality. No, right, it's not about it, absolute reality. Yeah. Right, but whether it, it's about absolute reality or not, we know that human brains are flawed in this way. Um, yeah, but it's about having less flaws. It's not about getting rid of flaws entirely. Right, but you can't. You, you're essentially prescribing a solution that doesn't actually fix the problem. Uh, I, what I'll well, compare this to is okay. So um, there's one of the ways that we know that um, uh, that nature does not favor organisms that perceive reality exactly as it is. Instead, it favors organisms that perceive reality in ways that are generally most conducive to that species survival and reproduction. It happens with regard to a species of beetle in um, Australia. And the thing is, is that with this particular species of beetle, their females, like the, what they consider a sexy female is essentially a female that is like large, round bumpy and brown like that's like the, the 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 particular like character of the female's um shell right. and this species which has survived on this planet for millions of years is now going extinct because humans are throwing away beer bottles and the male insects are seeing these beer bottles and to these male these are those are the, the sexiest beer bottles they have ever perceived in their entire life and they know beyond a shadow of a doubt in their mind that that is the sexiest possible female and it's a real female and they're going to jump in there and do what they're what they're going to do and of course they're not mating and they're dying off because mm -hmm. what's happened is is that a crack in their perceptions has entered into the picture um when you 
push in this direction of like like 20th century rationalism uh, when you uh, try to um, prescribe the scientific method as the answer for all of life's problems and all of all of the issues within and rationality. Um, what happens is is that you, the person becomes focused on their mind and it's using the opposite, their mind uh, is exactly the opposite. I mean, that seems the scientific method seems to be um, uh, solving the exact problem that you're addressing to go yeah, beyond what are you your about, like, in a lab. No, are you talking about the, sci the scientific method adjusts for all the flaws in human perception uh, as much as it possibly can in all the mm -hmm. biases and seeing correlation when correlation doesn't exist, it's seeing causation where causation doesn't exist, it's seeing agency make, when there's no agency. I mean, the making whole, repeatable predictions uh, under yeah. laboratory. So all conditions. the problems that you have, all the problems that you have with human perception is exactly why we have the scientific method. So how do you use the scientific method to solve major depression? Oh my God! Like there is like no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not talking about studies. I'm. I'm talking about like use. I mean, right you're now, asking a non-scientist to tell you exactly the scientific solution. No, to I, depression? I'm asking. I'm asking you to imagine that you are in the grips of major depression, and right? I'm asking you to use the scientific method to heal yourself from it. Physician, heal thyself with the okay. scientific method. First of all, I'm not an expert, so I don't know the answer, but I can guarantee you that there is so much that the scientific world has to offer in that department yeah more Other than anything and the it, scientific world yes but the individual human may not go to them and deal with which, them because exactly they should though they should though i think as, as a, if you get anything them within their perceptions of the world specifically because of how human brains have this is exactly this is a win from my side. I don't understand why you're saying this. Like, from when it comes to like dealing with depression, the scientific world has given us better solution than any other methodology. What solution any is this? Hmm? What solution? What, what, what specific solution are you talking about? Well, I mean, when it comes to medicine, when it comes to figuring out the source of the depression, when it comes to coming up with answers that have the uh, that have proven that are proven to have the best results, and this is like something that keeps continues getting better and better and better. When it comes you're to talking about essentially, you're, you're talking about essentially medicine and psychotherapy. When it to, when it, I, no, there's many different fields on this. It's not just so one. Medicine and psychotherapy. What else? No, what else? No, okay, but here's the thing: when when it comes to actually finding the causes of you know uh, depression. And it doesn't always lead to like certainly, but yeah, but here's yeah. the thing: when you deal but with someone who's depressed, you shouldn't do one thing. Yeah. You shouldn't do is ask somebody who is not an expert witness in the field, like me, to give you the answer. Again, when it comes to I'm relying, to you, I'm, I'm trying to make you see the problem that that you're missing here. Let's I, say let's say the scientific method has prescribed, and let's let's assume that things actually can be perfect. So let's assume that the scientific method no, is not, prescribed like okay, perfect. I what I'm saying, every I, I think I clarified this many times. Yeah. There will be the scientific method will have its flaws, yeah. and it will have uh, it will never be perfect. Okay, yeah. it will not be perfect, and it will have many many flaws. My yeah. argument is not that this is a perfect model. My my argument is that I'm it's not trying a to argue that it's a perfect model. I'm trying to say even if it was a perfect model, it still wouldn't work for this situation. Like okay. it would not work for, for what I'm bringing up. Uh, okay, well, yeah, Erwin, I think what, what Brunton is asking is not necessarily the scientific method, but the philosophy behind the scientific method. So if somebody is prescribing to that, 
they, they would tend to be more naturalistic, more materialistic. How would that? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the question. Like, honestly, the, the that's a philosophical problem called science. Reality, if you want real, if you want real solutions, you need to deal with the real world, which is a materialist, materialistic world. Yeah, but well, actually, I would I would actually have some issues with that because, um, but that's beyond the scope of this. Okay. Um, so here's the issue. So we, you're you're putting forth the like 19th century idea of materialism that that the world is material, and yeah, back to the example that you were giving, like what is mm -hmm. the problem with like what what is a better if somebody is depressed, okay, mm -hmm. and they try to figure out the solution to the problem, yeah, um, what is a better method than the scientific method? Um, well, what I would say is, first of all, they're going to need faith to be able to even begin to take a step towards solving their problem. Because I don't know if you've ever dealt with major depression, but I have. And when you're in the throes of major depression, you don't see a way out of it. The medicine, you're certain, will not work. The therapy, you're certain, will be a waste of time. This is the problem with depression as a as, as a mental condition and one of the problems with um, uh, consciousness in general. When you talk to a depressed person and you try to, to talk them out of it, what they'll say is they'll say, I'm not depressed. This is just the way things are. This is just the reality because it, the to them, it is the reality. Do you think that the scientific method, if there is a way to like, doesn't give you, I mean, I there, do you think that there isn't like, thousands of literature written on exactly what a person in a depression will think and how you could give them the confidence and the positive way of thinking and the motivation and a lot of it points towards appealing to faith like the, no, the so thing, your definition of faith is like something that is not like beyond the natural world. So what you call no, faith, of course, it's not beyond the natural world. Faith absolutely is a part of the natural world. Okay, but this is not. This is okay. So what you're calling faith might be considered like I don't know, positive thinking or confidence or not positive thinking, motivation or I don't know. I'm just saying like yeah. or the motivation that somebody needs. For, I would con so, I would consider faith essentially. So can I just finish this? Like, sure. if you, um, or the most words in my mouth. No, no. I, okay. So I'm not saying you're saying this, right? But mm -hmm. I'm saying that what, what, what you might be describing again, these are examples that is not necessarily what you're saying, but I'm just giving you examples of things that within the scientific method could be described as the way as, as a reef, as proven model of reframing someone's their own view of their own depression that might actually put them in the right path to recover from their depression like if that works sure i'm sure the only way to show if that were if the real if, if a better understanding of what your de depression is and, mm -hmm. a, and a reframing of your mind to, for you to get motivated to solve the problem if that methodology works the best way to see that methodology works is through the scientific method where we I actually disagree with that yeah, where, where we where we would and again there's a number of studies I, that have shown this 
Exactly. Okay, great. So the scientific method controlling for external variables, making sure that you have a large enough sample size, make sure you are double blinded, making sure uh, that you're not um, you, the correlation actually. Armin, so, uh, I don't have any issues with the I scientific know. method as a method I, for making prognostication. No, I know you don't. I know you don't. We're not. We're not arguing whether the scientific method is good or not. We're what we're arguing. Uh, what we're arguing is that I think it's the best it's method. Safer. It's the well, best. Method. And even the things that you're saying that is a problem with depression that needs to be even if it uh, were the best method, it still would be off topic from what we're talking about here, which is faith and the benefits no. of faith. No, so what I'm saying is that it's the best it's the best method, and I, it, trying to prom promote any other way of getting at solutions and our, our understanding of reality is harmful because you're depriving people of relying on the best methodology. You're giving uh, ironically, them ironically, you're giving me like a fundamentalist argument here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have to have one method to deal with all of our problems, and that one method must be the best method. And any other method is going to have problems and going Wait, to take. Away. Let's put faith and science behind. Do you agree? Do you not agree that the we should be promoting the best method over other methods? Like forget science and faith and everything like that. I think we should. I think you would agree with me as somebody who wants to promote the best methodology to give us the best solutions. You would say I favor the best methodology over. I favor the, be the best methodology in the specific situation that we're dealing with. One methodology is not going to endure through every possible situation that one could have. You you will never find one key that opens every door. You, you need a variety I, of keys to get through I think a variety. Of what the scientific method is because the scientific method is the process of finding the best key. Like there, it's not one key. So, the, the scientific method is is a method for um, uh, making prognostications and repeatable um, experiments towards like the future. Like, I think the best solution for every situation is done is best done, even if the solution. Is, so here's the thing: the scientific method is not saying, "Oh, here's a solution to everything." The scientific, like you think, different situations require different solutions, and the best way to find a different solution to the, the different solution is through the scientific method because it tests everything and looks at the results, and based on the result, tells you what the solution to this specific from situation is. From an external is. perspective, under the current um, laws of the universe as we know them, yes. Yes, but I'm not simply talking about from an external perspective. I'm talking about humans internally. I'm talking. I'm, I'm essentially talking about. I, I don't believe souls literally exist, but I'm talking about the human soul. I'm talking about the human psyche, and okay. there are serious psychological problems that result from an over reliance on traditional scientific rational thinking. That's the. That's my issue. Um, okay, so here. As a as somebody who believes in science, I don't. I'm, what I'm prescribing is not to be like, um, like sitting every like I'm talking about what promote to the society as large. I'm not saying like, okay, what do what show do I watch? Okay, let me look at the scientific method to uh, figure out what show should I watch. Oh, like oh my god, I feel like a little bit um, sad today. Okay, let me like no, like it's not like over. What I don't understand what you mean by the over reliance. I'm just. Um, um so let me let me explain. Um, so within this particular tradition, we have a couple of problems. Um, one that it came from the uh, monotheistic Christian tradition, in the sense that we believed, um, you know, in the in Christendom, that humans were created by God for a yeah. specific purpose, and that God 
you know, he, he he cared about us and he loved us, but we had to fulfill that purpose or we would burn in hell, essentially. And that, that was the prevailing um, myth that surrounded uh, Christendom since the at least the fall of the Roman Empire up until maybe the it started to erode in the late 1800s, early 1900s as a result of the religious wars and persecutions in Europe and the, the fall of the power of the church. So what happened was, was that we went from being a child of God by adoption and grace um, because we weren't really one of the family. You know, we were, uh, we had to accept Jesus's salvation to, to be, uh, but we had a, a distinct purpose within the world. Um, we, were essentially, we were essentially like robots built by God to love God. And we needed to do our, our, our purpose. Then this crumbles and we get rid of God. Well, then what are we? We are essentially ghosts driving a meat suit on it was so much bacteria on a rock in, in an indifferent universe that we came into as a stranger within the world. This is, this isn't how the world really is at all. Um, but it is the, it is the idea of the fully automatic mechanical material universe where they say, um, everything is material and consciousness is just a very sophisticated form. So you know there are beautiful ways to frame each side and very disgusting ways to frame both sides of this. Like if the same thing that you described right now, if you read Carl Sagan or the magic of reality by Richard Dawkins, you could have a much more beautiful framing of what you yeah. just described. Or I, or I can read Alan Watts and get it even better, but yeah, yeah. I, I know and, that there are beautiful ways to describe it. Child of God scenario, you could describe as a slaves of God and also mm -hmm. damned yeah. To be, you know, burning. So I don't like again. Th this is why, like these framings of things, is not a really reliable way of figuring out which one is real and which one isn't. We have to use the, the scientific method is a better way than these. You know, just well, I, I don't know. I, I the scientific method can tell us, for instance, what is the purpose of life. Like what? Uh, well, the scientific method can't tell us what's the purpose of life. Yeah, because there is no purpose of life. We individually decide. We individually I mean, decide what our purpose is going to be. You yeah, know that. Well, that, that's an existentialist uh, argument, and I don't a hundred percent disagree with it. But I actually do have a, a disagreement. I think the purpose of life is life is what exists for itself. The purpose of life is simply to live and to exist. It's it's. I would liken it to that's your answer. I would that's liken not it to my answer. answer but, uh, Thing like your yeah, the scientific me uh, method doesn't have answers to answer to, to to questions that don't have answers. Obviously, yeah, well, I mean, it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Yeah, the the science exactly. So again, you can't just rely on the scientific method and put down other methods you. as the inferior. But the like when it comes to purpose, even though it doesn't have the answer to the purpose of life, because that answer does not exist. But for you personally, Again, I, think, I think there's a definite answer to the purpose of life. Okay, but to you personally, to what your purpose of life is, and for you to understand what, hold on, let me just say, for you to understand what your purpose in life is, to for you to understand of what reality, like to know what your purpose is in life, is you would be well more equipped to answering that question if you actually understand your reality, if you understand the nature of the uh, world around you, if you understand the best tools to be more I mean, uh, in control of, of your own. 
mind and your awareness of your own um you know thoughts uh, and again all of this all of this you would be in a much more whatever that answer is again that answer is different for every person but whatever that answer is you are way more likely to arrive at it if you have a better roadmap if you have a better understanding of what reality is like and you will be able to navigate your uh, you know your traveling through this reality you you will be able to navigate yourself and arrive at a better conclusion and arrive at your destination and your destination is going to be different from other people's destination but your map shouldn't be your map should be based again on I, I don't think my destination is different from other people's destination i think everyone has the same purpose to life like i i really do like it's my opinion but in in my opinion, I think there is a similar a unified a purpose to life. Let's say, I get, let's say I get cancer. I have a tumor. I discovered yeah. I have a tumor. Okay, um, and I want to deal with the situation. How does faith help me with this situation? How does faith help you? Because you can tell yourself, "I'm going to get through this." Okay, is that your definition of faith? Just having confidence it's in something. One, it's one aspect of faith. It's the ability, it's the, and then the other aspects of faith is even if you don't get through this, it's still going to be okay. You okay. Know? That's also just confidence and positive thinking and stuff like that. I mean, Motivation. That's not positive, faith. positive thinking has a really nasty connotation because it, it, it I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, no, I, I'm saying that's a good thing. Like I, I know there's scientific. Yeah, I'm things. saying it's kind of a bad thing. <laughs> no, I wasn't saying, no, no, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that as a good, as a good thing, but I'm just saying if you're, if, you know, there needs to be a different of the difference between the definition of faith and confidence and positive thinking, because if that's so, all it is, let, other let's, words for let's take this cancer argument through to the end here. So this is actually, I think this can actually help us understand what I'm trying to get at with, with regard to faith. Um, so you get cancer um, and you, you're very worried that you're going to die. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, um, let's say, for instance, that the doctor comes to you and says, you know, basically, you've got two months to live. There's absolutely nothing we can do. Okay. Um, now, a scientific worldview would likely trust the doctor mm -hmm. and say, OK, I am going to die and that's it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. is, is that correct? Uh, well, the scientific method also says that if you are put in a positive uh, mood, uh, your immune system would be stronger and you would probably sure. you would be so able how more. Do you, how do you get yourself in a positive mood when you know that, the, that there's no hope? Uh, well, there's a lot of studies on that on how to bring people um, in, you know, in terms with the ac accepting the new reality and how to adjust with that what are the best what are the best things to say to a patient like that what are the best questions like there's a lot of uh trials and analysis on yes, what works like essentially there are many like as other medicine or else what do people tell them there's a lot of debates there's a lot of disagreements there's a lot of tests there are a lot of studies yeah. and you notice you're, you're talking about what everyone around the person does but you're not really talking about what the person does internally no, it's basically no. It's exactly what it's exactly about what to tell, how to get the patient to a situation where they put reframe reframe the way the way of looking. You are not the one who is actually suffering from the cancer, as if this is something to to be diagnosed oh. and dealt with as a doctor and not yeah. as the person now, themselves. How we, how we can help our fellow human beings? Yeah, correct. We, but we, but we, there, there. It's very easy to look at someone else. 
and in a difficult situation and diagnose their problem and how to fix them. And you can be right or wrong with that. But that's, okay. that's not really what I'm talking about. Because again, what the patient should rely on as a non-scientist. I'm sorry? Taking what the patient should do, not what the people who are trying to help the patient should do as a non-scientist. Yeah. Right. Again, I think the patient should also go look at the latest studies on how to help themselves. Do you think that's a good, possibly a good use of the last time on earth is reading a bunch of uh, yeah, 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 scientists they, have very little time. That they probably don't even understand because they're not, uh, they're not an academic. They don't, yeah, they need to ask experts to tell them what, the, what is the best, what is what the studies shows uh, to um, tell them what your problem is. They're like, hey, listen, I'm living, I'm, I have two weeks to live. Uh, I want to be happy in this last two weeks, right? Based on based on your expert analysis, what is the most efficient way of me getting myself there? And ask multiple experts. Give the second, third, and fourth oh opinion. God, okay? I am fucking stunned by this. <laughs> given that, given, no, here's the thing. Given that um, you have your own answers as well, right? Um, sorry, Arnold. Yes, I do have my own answers as well. But no, 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 not you, the patient, right? So for here's here's for example. Let's say I have. Here's what I would do, okay? Let's say I have two weeks to live, okay? I will go online and we'll be like, look at other people's experiences and what they did in the- um, When, you, when know, you could be spending important time with your family, when you, when you could be putting your affairs in order and, and getting the most out of life, you're going to be online searching for a way to extend your life. You know how you said you put, uh, put words in your mouth? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, do you think I'm not gonna do that? Do you think like I'm not going to be do you think I'm going to spend my last two weeks just doing research and I'm not going to be like sitting next to my wife and telling her how much I love her? Do you think I'm not going to call my dad? Um, I can't go visit him because I, I would get executed if I go back to Iran. Do you think I'm not going to spend time uh, spending as much as I time with my brother just because I'm spending some time researching and seeing how other people will dealing with their depressions, seeing what just because I spent some time seeing how people got the best results in the shortest amount of time. Do you think mm -hmm. I'm not going to do I'm not going to try to figure out what is the most um, what, how I could go and maybe spend some time in nature and meditate? Do you think I'm not going to do all of these things just because I'm spending some time just to see how other what are how other people also dealt with this and what, how other people got the best results? Results? Do you think the, that, that that contributes to each other? I, I would think that there is a bit of a conflict here, and I also think we can't really know what we do until we are really faced with that situation. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. But yeah. I do think that there's lessons to be learned from other people that have dealt with the situation. And sure. one doing one of these things does not contradict me spending love uh, quality time with the people who love or I love. I think that, I, I think searching I think seeking out uh, a way in those last two weeks is trying to seek out a way suddenly to have those best possible last two weeks in that moment. Like mm -hmm. I, I I think that that is not going to be high on your list of priorities. Like you may I, spend some time. I doing think, it. Might, I think um, there might be something that just clicks that um, you know it's a, such a missed opportunity. Maybe like uh, maybe because I didn't see something that I would have seen if I um, if, maybe I didn't do the research. Maybe I didn't look into this, but there was just some information there that would have made this last two weeks so much easier for me to endure if I just knew that information. If somebody just told us like, "Hey." This has been a trial and proven method. I feel like that. Things, like, things like this. And yeah. if I just tr I see that and I try it and it makes my last two weeks so much easier. I think it's worth just doing a little bit of research. 
I think it, uh, doing a little bit of research might be a natural thing for somebody to 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 do. Um, right. I don't net. I don't think you're going to find the secret in like the the last two weeks of your life in research. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen. But I think it's but I think it's better than listening to this uh, person like hey go like I know somebody who's like hey go to India. There's this guy that will cure your tumor and something like that. And like just believe me and have faith. Like imagine spending my last two weeks doing that, right? So I'm just saying that, yeah, okay, if you don't want to do, if you if you think you already have the answer, if you think like in the last two weeks you know that this is what you want to do, then do you. But I'm saying if you don't know, if you have no fucking idea, clue, like, oh, my God, I have two weeks to live, and I don't know what to do. And I do, if you want at that point, if you're looking for answers, there are better ways to get, come up with an answers, and there are horrible ways to come at an answer. And I know this, and I know this because – my mom died of cancer, right? Sorry, and, my condolence. Yeah, and between the time that I realized that she had cancer and then she died, I, it was one month. Like what? What? At some point, I had a mom and everything was okay, and I had a happy family. And then I told that she had cancer, and within one month, she, then I had no mother. And it was like it was almost impossible to, uh, you know, come to terms with this new reality, right? Mm -hmm. But what dealing during this one month? We were getting a lot of suggestion, mm -hmm. and a lot of it was based on faith. And guess what? They were all horrible. They were all horrible. They would all make our last, my last month with my mother way, way more stressful to her, to me, to my family. And it would have made that last month a miserable. I'm so I, glad. I'm sorry I'm to so hear glad. that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that that's representative of what I'm, I'm talking so about. Glad. Yeah, maybe not you. Maybe other people's version of faith, right? Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that what we decided to do as a family was to listen to the experts. And mm -hmm. the experts told us that, listen, her chances are very low. Mm -hmm. My dad wanted to do chemotherapy. They told us that you are just going to make her more miserable for longer. Mm -hmm. She is very likely, there's a chance that she will survive, but she's very likely going to die. Do you want to have a shorter quality time with her or a longer time with her suffering through chemotherapy? And that was the honest opinion of the experts that we were dealing with. Yeah, my dad, good and, opinion. I, I, my, yeah. my dad might have said the same thing. And we decided to listen to the experts and we decided to have to, instead of trying to cure her cancer, we decided to try uh, to focus on all the solutions that will make her time less painful. Mm -hmm. Everything that we did in the last month was not about curing her cancer, was about trying to have quality time with her in the last month that we had with her. And okay, I'm that's so a very good way to approach things. Yeah, and I'm glad we listened to the experts in that, in that, in that situation. Yeah, I'm, I, well, I'm glad you did too, because again, these are medical professionals and they deal with this situation quite frequently. But right. but what you described is is very different from at least how it seemed to me in the first characterization of your argument. Um, so essentially what I'm Maybe talking about- my failure at communicating, sorry. sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, it's all right. <laughs> um, it could also be my own bias jumping in there uh, and uh, deciding to mess with it. So, um, and my condolences with your mother, that is a terrible thing that you had to go through and I'm very sorry about it, um, you. you know. Um, my point on this whole thing is that, and this is kind of getting a little bit into my own uh, religious beliefs and mine are not 
based simply on faith. Um, it, in fact, I, I think they have a lot to do with like modern quantum physics and like a lot of what we understand. It's more of a, a different way of reframing the world. It's a way of looking at things. Um, and one of the things that I've found, which is really key because death has been a, a very serious presence in my life. I'm a goth. It, it happens. Um, <laughs> you know, I was touched by death when a friend of mine, uh, passed away unexpectedly in his sleep at 25 years of age out of nowhere, five days before I turned 25. And that has been the major catalyzing event of my life since then. It drove me to hike the Appalachian trail. It drove a lot of my creative work. It got me to move to New York city, you know, and I have been searching for answers to the riddle of death ever since. And over the past few years with a lot of uh, meditation, a lot of thought, a lot of Buddhist practice, I didn't find the answers in like Western uh, rationalism. I didn't find them in the writings of Christopher Hitchens, even though he talked somewhat similarly about this. And, you know, I read his final writings before he that died. That was not the intention of those writings, though, but go on. No, no, I, I know. Well, he, he did. He talked quite a bit about death towards the end. Um, you know, um, where I found them was uh, in the philosophy of Alan Watts and Soka Gakkai. And um, realizing essentially that the ego, the individual, isn't real. Um, and that while we may perceive ourselves as being in this particular body uh, and being this particular I, that's simply not all that we are. Um, what we actually are is the sum total, the the, the totality of life and experience. We are the, that's the another topic, though, isn't it? Say what? That's another topic. I'm glad to I have that. It, it, ties, it ties into this because it deals with the fundamental, and, and I, there's a video on my channel, which you, you might want to check out after this, uh, which is called uh, Sunyata or Shunyata, the void, um, where I, I specifically talk about how this addresses like the major problem in Western philosophy ever since the fall of the church. Um, because really what we've got is ever since the fall of the church and ever since we all agreed that mankind is not actually a child of God and heaven's probably not waiting for us and hell's probably not waiting for us. Um, what has happened is from Nietzsche on, you know, have been attempts to keep nihilism at bay, to keep the, I am this little me in this giant, cold, unfeeling universe. And lots of philosophers, including the existentialists, and you put forth an existentialist philosophy, and I quoted an existentialist thinker at the beginning, have had various ways to deal with this. But most people didn't have to deal with that. Most philosophers ended up having to deal with that, but most common people didn't have to deal with that without religion. Um, I mean, I would highly disagree with that. And in fact, I think that that is kind of the driving force beyond a lot of our social ills, including, you know, World War II and especially the Holocaust. If you read um, on we could, we could discuss that on another topic, but I think well, less. Uh, well, no, I think yeah, this no. gets to the, to the core oh. of this, though, because oh, yeah. what Good, the, uh, you, we've been I at mean, it for an hour. Countries, uh, the happiest countries in the world are the ones without religion. So that's basically. Yeah, but uh, you can have faith without religion. All right, hey guys, yeah, we've been at it for like nearly an hour. I was, you know, I I, I try to keep the uh keep it real open so y'all can talk about it because yeah. it seems like neither one of y'all was defending uh or arguing against faith in like something supernatural. 
So that's why I, I let it be like open yeah. so you could define. Oh, so we, have, we both agree like, with that, right? Brent, believe the yeah. super, supernatural could go fuck itself. Can we? Yeah. <laughs> if the supernatural uh, existed, it would just be like some kind of technology or natural law that we don't have. If people actually go to heaven, there's a natural mechanism to send their consciousness to heaven. Like that's here we, got, here we got some questions that's coming in. So let's start uh, reading off these questions. Can I tell people to check us both out, me and yeah. uh, Brent? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah link guys, is in the description guys. below. Definitely, definitely check these guys out. Also, keep these uh super chats coming. You know, uh, the you know house maintenance. You know, James got to get that sweater. He told me he wanted to get, uh, buy a nice sweater, so got to help. Who's just out. getting good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're gonna go through it. Y'all still gonna have the opportunity to uh to go through some more ideas, and then we'll let y'all uh give y'all closing statements and stuff like that. So I do have one question right here. Thanks for the twenty dollars, Rodney. He said, uh, in Iraq, atheists slash secularists are growing ever larger every day. Low. Say that one more time. Your idea is a little bit low. I'm sorry. Hold up. All right. Can you hear me uh, any better now? It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. All right. I'm sorry, man. Well, I said, uh, once again, thanks for the 20 bucks, Rodney. He asked, uh, or he states, in Iraq, atheists slash secularists are growing ever, uh, ever larger every day, and young Iraqis are abandoning religion altogether. This trend, impossible in Saddam's Iraq, vindicates C. Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens, saying that intervention in Iraq was justified. Does anybody have a uh, want to comment on that? No, I, I think I don't agree. With, I don't. I don't agree with the fact that it's impossible because right in neighboring country Iran, we just came out studies that shows that half, half of Iranians have left left religion within their lifetime. Okay, half. I mean, I was struck by that number, okay? Iran, but according to the latest number, is a Muslim minority country. And this is with not, not within generations. Within their lifetime, half of Iranians have left Islam. So to argue that this, is, this would have been impossible, I mean, Saddam wasn't even a theocrat. We're talking about people that are living under a theocracy, uh, Islamic theocracy, they're leaving Islam by numbers that I didn't think it would be possible in my lifetime. So the, your premise, I think, is wrong. Yeah, I, I'm horrified by that. How many millions of people have died? How many lives have been shattered and destroyed? How many children have been crippled? And you're saying that this is all great because a couple people left the church in Iraq? Like, seriously, that is one of the most disgusting things that I've ever heard. That get, the, the Iraq war and the war on terror is probably the single greatest, um, most inhumane disaster of the 21st century. It led directly to the, to the rise of ISIS and the freaking um, war in Syria where freaking Assad is dropping Yemen. barrel bombs on his own people. Yemen. <laughs> Yemen. You imperialist Yemen. piece of crap. I, I don't get mad at people usually, but I'm I'm darn mad at you. Okay, continue. Okay, no, but here, 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 I, I do want to be clear with people because I think a lot of people confuse Iraq and Iran. So Iraq, yeah. um, Iraq, like the numbers in Iran are, are people for people leaving religion is higher than Iraq. Okay, Iran, and this is a neighboring country. Okay, and both yeah. both of Iraq and Iran are Shia majority countries. Okay, uh, but I do agree with Brent. I think like that's uh, the that's uh, that was the consequence. The number of people that have paid for this mm -hmm. war and continue to this day to pay for that war. Uh, does really prove Hitchin wrong in that one. I mean, like he still respects someone's right beliefs, right views, and um, admit that they were wrong about something. Um, 
that the, yeah. you know that's not a contradiction here. I, I think Hitchens was the best of the new atheists. Honestly, I named my cat after him, but like, yeah, he, he as a human being, he left the world worse than he found it. I didn't know about that. Maybe. Well, fair enough. I can't blame all of the Iraq War on. I don't think Hitchens without Hitchens, the Iraq War would not happen. I don't think you could blame Hitchens. For that. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You're right. You're right. My bad. I, I got a little bit. I'm, I'm surprised. I don't normally get emotional. I don't even get mad at Nazis usually. <laughs> I started three four four Zaw. Thanks for the thirty five bucks. Uh, open question. He says Brenton's bug example. Those bugs have faith in their senses. They're not making a rational decision. You lose, boy. Well, I'm not going to say that. He said uh, yeah. <laughs> that's all right. I insulted the last guy, but um, yeah, no faith in your sense. That's empiricism. That's the basis of the scientific method. So like. Insects don't have the capability of faith one way or another. Like they can't even, I remember I, I, when I was hiking the Appalachian trail, Maine to Georgia, I would run into spider webs. And I said to one of the other hikers, I was like, Hey, I wish they would learn to not build their webs on the trail. And the other hikers like, I can, I'm glad they can't learn anything. I, I think it's ridiculous to talk about faith in terms of an insect mind. Just to clarify, the scientific method relies on the information that it gets from its sensory methods, but it doesn't trust them, right? It like it has to go through a cleansing process, like it correct. doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Correct. It's just you couldn't have the scientific method without empiricism. You couldn't have anything without relying on your like you basically you have to have the data feed. You have to get data coming in from some. But that's different. Than, that's different than philosophical empir empiricism in the in the sense that like you know like rationalism predated empiric empiricism. Um, and we still had data coming in. We still it's had not about how the data comes into your conscious mind. It's about how you treat it after it comes into your conscious mind. Yes, correct. Okay, okay. Okay, Gabriel. Uh, um, yeah, well, excuse me. I'm sorry. Gabriel, thanks for the five bucks, says, bottom line is, do you believe the human mind is the product of matter coming together or there is a supernatural agent behind it? If so, prove it. I think we both agree that there's no super, there's no supernatural agent. Yeah, I mean there could be, but there's no evidence for such a thing. I don't. Oh think yeah, it's a good I idea. There. Could be. I mean, I actually with this one, I don't even know if it could be because if it is any supernatural element, once we understand it, then it's part of Just nature. Natural. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what I what I wanted to bring up here is um, so like consciousness and the 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 hard the so called hard problem of consciousness and how does consciousness arise from unconsciousness? There's two ways of looking at this. Um, there's the idea that um, consciousness is just a sophisticated form of matter, which I think is fine, but also that means that matter is just a basic form of consciousness, and it would mean that essentially, and I, I actually agree this is correct. Like rocks are somewhat conscious in the sense that I can take a rock and bang on it and there's a re response from it so um we have different definition of a consciousness then because i don't think a banging back that you get from a uh from a rock that's well, it's that's a response essentially what it's a okay, response you're, you're redefining responses as consciousness and therefore like well, then basic consciousness i would say like the the i, I would say you know, that's not what people mean when they say rocks are conscious though no no i don't think there's a spirit a literal spirit living in the rock in the rock any intelligence or understanding or perception no yeah so but but the, why are you redefining words you're saying I, i'm not redefining words i'm just saying that like for instance the philosophical zombie that that that's a problem with regard to consciousness yeah. that uh, a lot of philosophers deal with but I'm just, but I'm just saying that, given that you know what most people mean when they say conscious, then don't say rocks have consciousness. Well, you no, no. I, I like to do that because that engages people. 
Like when you when you, you can <laughs> it confuses them, and then they want to find out what the hell you're talking about, and then they are listen. They promoting ideas that are not okay. So, for example, you can say God. There is no evidence for the existence of a God. All right, and you're like, well, to me, God is just love. I'm like, fine, your God is real, but you know what you could do? You could just call love love. Or somebody says like, hey. To me, God is nature. Like we already have a word for that. It's called nature. God damn it! So like, yeah, that that's the argument. You're you're essentially uh, objecting to Spinoza's God, and it's funny because I would actually say yes to Spinoza's God, but I would also wouldn't define that God in sort of the Western kingly sense. I'd define it closer to like Brahman, like the, the, the deep down stuff that there is in the universe, ultimate reality. Um, and that that's what would be why I might say that we are all God, pretending he's not. In the or it's not. I think both Einstein and Hawking's realize what it's uh, at stake when it comes to playing poetry with the word God. A lot of people will attribute your usage of the word God as a, as you know to prove that you are that to legitimize theism, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why both Hawking's and Einstein <laughs> regret using po poetic language to describe things. Sure, but I'm literally a poet. Like they, they're scientists. Right. <laughs> so, so maybe it's a little okay for a poet to use poetic language. Okay, but if you if you notice that maybe your poetic license is actually causing confusion, maybe be put, like be very clear. Maybe you're doing that actually. You're yeah, you check out my channel. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty clear in what I'm talking okay, about. Good. Okay. Good. All right, we got another uh well a statement from Sparta three four four Zar. Uh, he says devil's lettuce, moderate alcohol. Fiji beaches and reading Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. Best two weeks ever. Problem solved. Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to write that down, actually. For Yeah. <laughs> he, he's referring, by the way, to my comic book. Fiji That really sounds really good. So, dude, I, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, hey, Praise, I know he's our, our producer over there. Do we have any more questions coming in? Or is that I, just it, I just want to say Snow White. Snow White. I don't know what this is about, but Snow White Zombie is an epic title. Like that's. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll send you a copy. Or you're in you're in Canada, right? Just send me a PDF. I'll send you a PDF. You can read the first and second issue. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So if y'all got um closing statements, uh, we gave uh Brenton the first word, so we'll give him the last word, or should we okay. give uh? I, I my closing statement is that it's always fun talking to Brent. That's all it is. Like I always enjoy talking to Brent. I don't have much else to say. I think I already said everything. I, sure. I, I yes, it's, it's some of the most fun conversations I have. Absolutely. Well, I, I really enjoy it too, and this this was really interesting. Um, I think we talked around like a lot of really big ideas throughout all of this, but kind of what I what I really wanted to get at is is that um, I'll just I'll sort of close with this. Um, my religious practice in Buddhism involves chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo to the Gohanzon, which is a scroll on my wall. And there's a lot of questions and a lot of the time, like, because I was an atheist for like uh, four years in New York. And it wasn't until my faith returned that I began to practice my Buddhism. But what I can tell you is, is that there's this, we call it, uh, uh, devilish functions. There's this little voice in your head that wants to keep you in the place that you're at because we get freaked out by change. And so when you first go and decide you want to start religious practice, um, 
there's the idea in much the same way that you go and you want to start psychotherapy. There's the idea that, oh, this doesn't actually do anything. And what I can tell you is it, it, I, I can't 100% explain why it works, but the practice of Daimoku and Gongyo twice a day um, has changed my life in a huge way. I've seen measurable differences in my mood that have exceeded what I was able to do on um, medicine. Uh, and exercise. Now, I still did medicine and exercise because I don't think that faith alone is something that we should try to run our life on. I think that it is one of many strategies in our quiver for dealing with difficulties within the world. Um, but I think that it is something that we have, as a technological scientific culture, we have gone a little too far and we have inframed the world, we have inframed each other, and as such, we have sucked a lot of the meaning out of life and turned life into a task. And I'm not going to say that that's necessarily because of science, but I'm going to say that it's because of a form of thinking that our particular culture associates with science. And so what I think overall, what we need together is we need to realize that we are in fact all connected and that we and our, we are connected to our environment, to our communities, and to the world and the universe as a whole. And I don't care if you want to call that religion or if you just want to call that reality. In fact, it makes no difference from where I'm sitting. Um, but it is something that we need to recognize before we destroy ourselves, either through nuclear war or more likely what it seems, um, uh, global warming. So thank you. Or AI. Or, um, or AI. I think AI would be nice. <laughs> Oh, AI, benevolent AI would be nice. Yeah. Um, we did get one more question in. Uh, so I, let me read that right quick. Uh, comes by way of, I'm not even going to try to say this name. I'll butcher it. I know it. X-A-L-Y-S-I-X. That's the name. Thanks for the $5. Uh, they say people don't necessarily turn to science to solve our social problems. Rather, it has been religion or faith in ideologies. So if either one of y'all want to answer that, and we'll give Aaron the, uh, the last I, word. I just want to say that for every story of somebody having positive experience from going off the scientific method to something else, there are hundreds and thousands of people that had that lives, their lives and their results would have been ruined and that they get subpar results because of it, right? Um, and again, to judge whether you know, relying on other methods works or doesn't work. We can't just rely on anecdotal examples. Well, I tried it and it worked for me, right? And the way to realize what if some methodology works or not is to look at large numbers, uh, high sample sizes that is collected in a, you know, you know a scientific method and then analyze it in a very methodological and careful way, right? Again, which is far better than looking at someone's, someone's story telling me like, well, I did this and I had a good experience, right? That's not a very reliable way of realizing if something works or not, right? And when it comes to relying on the scientific method, we, like, when it comes to people, you, you're saying, you know, I, I have to say, like, people have, there are more people that are not dealing with their children dying under the age of five. There are more people that are, more women that are not dying through child uh, childbirth. People, when they, they're not going through torture every time they have to have their teeth pulled out, right? People have access to clean water. People have access to more food because of these methods. People have access to um, their loved ones and um, much more than they 
um, did before because of these methods. People have a more of more of a say in their lives, in their future, in their destiny, in their in everything in their surroundings, in their environment because of these methods, right? People are li living happier, more meaningful lives because of these methods, right? So, um, and yes, there are flaws, there are mistakes, there are uh, setbacks, there are overcorrections, there are many things that you could point to examples of things that went wrong, but we are a happier, less violent, less miserable, less sick, less hungry, less poor world because of the scientific method. And we have to recognize that and we have to be grateful for it. And we have to be very, very careful if somebody wants to promote an alternative method in in, in replacement of it. Yeah. Uh, I will just respond to that in the sense that um, I, I disagree. I don't think we're actually happier. Um, and in mm -hmm. fact, if you look at like the data on it, um, you know, people who live in hunter-gatherer cultures tend to report higher. Yeah, Steven Pinker is a liberal. <laughs> um, read this book and check. Don't trust this book. Follow the sources yeah. after you read the book. Okay, okay. Your 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 weirdo cheerleader for the rich and powerful oh. is is. Uh, and also get my book. And here's here's something you should that get is his book. <laughs> yeah, and here's a, here's an anti-rich thing. Do, don't, you don't have to make me rich if you can't afford this book. If you can afford it, just buy it. But if you can't afford it, or if you live in a country that there's no Amazon, or if you don't have a credit card, uh, contact us on Aces Republic, and I'll send you a free PDF copy of what this book is. Well. That's super oh. cool. You should definitely get Armin's book, and you should get Snow White Zombie if you can. Um, yes. Yeah, my point here, I, I will point out that um, <sighs> Cambodia. In Cambodia, uh, the, the population prior to um, Westerners coming in and bringing their technology was a population of uh, peaceful Theravada Buddhists. And the they were- The greatest human rights violation of all time by- Yes, yes, and let me yeah, finish. About it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, when the Westerners came in, we introduced new crop yield methods, new scientific methods to boost their crop yield. And we were talking about this. Um, so pr prior, uh, the um, Buddhists worked six months out of the year and took six months out of the year off. And initially when the Westerners put in their, uh, their, their new technology, it doubled their harvest when they found that the Buddhists worked three months out of the year and took nine months out of the year off. And they said, well, this can't be. And they instituted capitalism and, uh, and currency and all of the wonderful things that we have in the West that Steven Pinker um, praises. And before Pol Pot, before Pol Pot, this led to mobs tearing infants apart in the street. There when once you, the technology provides a lot of great things for us, and I am certainly not a primitivist and I am not anti-technology or anti-science, but we cannot see it as a totalitarian solution because it strips humanity from the world. It strips, and again, it breaks us down into units that produce value 
for shareholders. And that's nothing anybody wants to be. That's not at all within the definition of the scientific method. It doesn't have to be in the definition. It's within the effect. And remember, the Buddha talked about that. Look at what it actually does. Here, looking at themselves in different ways, the best way to figure out how to how people can how people can see themselves in nature and in society. What produces the what framing of the mind will make them the most happy. The way to figure that out, to figure out to answer that question, is the scientific is the scientific method. And even even the examples, even the examples of where the scientific method was made, like used, and was the results weren't good. If you actually look at the problems, if you see that if there was a closer, um, you know, if it was if it actually used the scientific method in those situations to figure out where was the flaw and where was the problem, the only way to fix that is to use the scientific method even more, not less, more. That's how you solve the mistakes of the science. Of, people when they've used the scientific method if yeah. i can best if you say so best, we got one more question one more question response, what do we got science right. is better science so this is mm -hmm. for brenton it's uh from uh uh gabrielle she she gave us another couple of bucks she says i think brenton mistook psychology for faith it's okay uh, I would say I more or less mistook philosophy for faith, but again, I'm a Buddhist and it's been said that Buddhism is more philosophy than religion. I, I don't really care what you call it. There's a strict delineation in uh, Western tradition uh, between like the, uh, the sacred and the profane. And we look like, and, and so like, for instance, once the idea of God crumbled, we had the idea that everything is profane and nothing is sacred. Whereas in my view, the sacred and the profane are exactly the same. Uh, samsara is Nirvana. It's just in how you look at it. Hmm. All right. So here, let's get ready to uh, wrap it up. Let's you know, give it up to our two debaters. I mean, they touched on some real deep topics, including like uh, real serious issues, including like death and, you know, depression and stuff like that. These are real serious issues. So we definitely appreciate uh, what you guys brought to the table. Uh, I do want to I do want to share this like me personally. Uh, whenever I, I haven't went to anything uh, traveling, I always would look back to uh, the uh, American psychologist and uh, a great humanist, uh, Albert Ellis. Uh, he was the father of uh, rational emotive behavioral therapy, which in, contributed heavily to uh, cognitive behavioral therapy as it exists now. So, uh, which has helped my wife huge. Like it, it's great. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, you know, people go through things. They find various ways to try to handle it, and we're just trying to figure out what's the best way to do it. You know, and, and this this uh, conversation definitely helps along that way. So we definitely appreciate you guys. We appreciate uh, you as a moderator. Well, well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Try to do my best. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap it up. Uh, once again, uh, link uh, for these debaters is in the description below. Definitely check these guys out. Uh, definitely check out what you said, uh, Snow White Apocalypse. Snow White and Zombie Apocalypse. Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. And what was the name of your book? Uh, Aaron, Why There Is No God. Why There Is No God. Definitely check these guys out. All right. Yeah. We'll have to continue the these conversations, Armin, because yeah, this was fascinating, and you did not disappoint. <laughs> oh, really? Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate it, guys. All right, so let's wrap this thing on up. Y'all have a good night. All right. All right.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.